equity of up to £150 million. You're in the theatre, fine, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. This is Caroline, and I'm going to be your host today as Andrew is off enjoying the Masters golf tournament. I think he's enjoying it anyway, despite the rain. Uh, but I've got quite a few of the usual suspects here with me today. So I'll throw it out first to Scott. How's it going, Scott? Good. Yeah, great weekend. Spurs um, somehow won, and Dynamo are just rolling, rolling, rolling. Great win last night, so good weekend. Awesome. What about you, Todd? Oh, any day you get to talk about a variety of different things, including the Spurs win. Uh, and uh, Young Men's Son fucking banger is, uh, is a good day, Caroline. Can't argue with that. <laughs> And Shuban, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, I've was, I was got to be at the tail end of the game yesterday. And um, I was there when they unveiled Sonny. I never thought he'd get 100 goals. And apparently I'm meant to be excited, according to Scott, about the season opening this year with the Astros. I haven't got a clear. I don't really care. But apparently I'm meant to be excited about that, according to Scotty. Absolutely. I'll let y'all have the uh, baseball excitement. <laughs> Bang a trash can for it about us later, Kaz. Uh, yeah. <laughs> world champs, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so we did have a win against Brighton, 2-1. to one, um, But it's fair to say that we got a little bit lucky with the way this game played out. So we'll first look at the team selection. Unchanged lineup from the previous match. Did that fill you all with confidence or make you feel a little bit nervous about how it was going to go. We'll go to you first, Scott. Yeah, I was not, I wasn't very confident um, just because I'm not very confident in the team in general. And it's the same line. We kind of have to play. We don't kind of have to play. We do. Let me word that correctly. Have to play because of injury and, and depth concerns. Right. So not a lineup that ever really instills me with confidence um, nor tactics that fill me with confidence. So always, always, uh, always good to be going into a match like that. But no, it didn't instill a ton of confidence <laughs> in me. Yeah, Todd, would you have made any changes to this lineup? I really don't know what changes were available uh, for us to make. To be, to be fair, uh, I mean, maybe. Nah, uh, honestly, no. I, I think, I think you're at a point in the season where continuity wins out. Uh, you know, if Andrew would hear, he, he would be talking about how some of these players' best ability is their availability. Um, so what I'm, uh, what I'm going to say is I would probably do exactly this, but did it fill me with confidence? Fuck no. I had no confidence going into this match. And Siobhan, I know you said you didn't get out to the game, but you were in the area. So what was the vibe like? How were people feeling? 
before the game. Even though we honest, well, I think before the game, there's a lot of people thinking, oh my God, I just don't want to go. There were so many like tickets being sold back to the club. Uh, like people could even give away their tickets, which, as I said earlier, this is a four-day weekend. Happy Easter, by the way, to everyone, and happy Passover. Happy Easter. Ramadan, everyone. Um, but it was a four-day weekend, and it's it was actually bright sunshine. It was a pretty pretty nice work day, and literally people just didn't want to go to the club. They just didn't want to be there. And even after the game, like some, I went to the loo, and then some guy ran and was just chatting to me about, oh, we're playing shite, we're doing this, and I was just like, and I just felt like it, there's a real, I don't know. And, and again, people wouldn't, obviously your listeners weren't, people outside of the UK won't know this, but outside of London, but generally the, the stadium, the goal line bar wasn't as full. A lot of people were leaving early. Normally, like as I said to Kaz, I've said to Kaz um, they, I remember one time, I think they had to kick us out of the Spurs stadium. I can't remember what, what, the, what game that was, but I just remember them kicking us out because we were just enjoying it so much. And this was this was this season. I can't remember what game it was. It, my memory escapes me now. But it, everyone was really enjoying it. And then, like I said, people they, were, they had to like literally kick us out. And then to where we are now, that people are just cannot get away quick enough. And that just you just you have a very unhappy fan base. There was a protest um, at the. I was trying to think just outside the uh, Spurs store. So they're near the Spurs. Not near the old ticket office, which is now the Beaverton Brewery, whatever thing, pub, opposite the number eight, near the number eight, on near the Park Lane end. And there was a protest. There were people attending that. Um, I don't know. Like, I know that people talk about it. Apparently, it wasn't much of a protest, apparently. But like I said, it, it just reeked of everything that people just... I'm, I remember, like, when I had, a, I had a season ticket, and this was the last days of the Sherwood era and i just just didn't bother going i gave my ticket to someone else i was like i don't want to be here anymore and obviously obviously i would never dream of watching it illegally on a, on a, on a legal stream here in the uk obviously as you know but the fact that people can do that and are willing to do that it just makes it you know people aren't going to be going to games and that's not what you want i mean like just to put into context the season ticket renewals are coming out uh, they have already come out they haven't put up the prices because of the cost of living crisis we have in the UK at the moment, and credit to the club, they haven't they haven't put the prices up, which is a good gesture. I mean, like they're going to have to absorb the costs, obviously that have gone up. But could you imagine them saying to us, "By the way, yes, we haven't had a great season. We're not doing well. We might not even qualify for the Champions League. We've got, we don't know who our manager is. We don't know who anyone is going to be in charge. And now we're going to charge. We're going to raise your season ticket prices." And I still know people that will literally literally just give up their scene ticket and happily go to being a member because as i was saying to scotty earlier one of the things that the old lane was that you would be sat there with people that you might have known for a, a generation you know but at the new heart lane um people have moved around they haven't formed those bonds so they don't mind being like thinking oh i'll be I'll, i don't know I'll be near the shelf. Oh, I'll be on this side of the park lane. Oh, I'm going to be in the west. I'll be in the east. And I think the fact that people just... It's, a, it's becoming a chore, which sounds really horrible. Football should be enjoyable. And look, the outcome shouldn't be predictable. You should be like, oh my God, I'm in my way not win. But I just saw a bunch of people. I ran past the stadium in the morning as part of my training run. So a whole bunch of people. 
and there just wasn't that joy that that you know that excitement they say it's been a long season i get that but people just aren't it's just they're going through the motions if it, it, does that make any sense they just yeah like, it does it makes a ton of sense shubon and, and i think that a big part of that is i mean we're fifth place in the table right now we're very much in scratching distance of the champions league but i think that the biggest thing that, that we've lacked throughout uh, and progressively throughout the Daniel Levy era is that that sense of relationship with that club, the identity of being a Spurs fan is something that is waning in the latter stages of Levy. It's tough when you suck the joy out of the club by the fact that you've had two world-class managers come through here, two of the last three managers you've had, three of the last four arguably are world-class managers, and you've pissed it down the road and blended on a variety of different things. Well, and fans are just getting sick and tired, Scott, of uh, of the same old excuses and it not changing anything. Hundred percent. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off either, but I I couldn't agree more. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And I was going to say that's exactly. And we'll get onto this later, so I'll leave it at this. But that's exactly why you hear Pochettino's name ringing out through the stadium yesterday, is because that's the only time the fans have felt the way that you, that you say we need to feel right now, Todd, and um, I'm certainly one of them, right? I think that that sense of pride is what we're looking for. I'll take that over the Champions League all yeah. fucking day. Never, ever, ever going to change my mind there. A hundred percent. Yeah, so that, that's what we're craving. We stood up fans, a little straighter and we wore that cock roll on our chest a little better, a little stronger. Yeah, man, hundred percent. And I don't want to take my shirt off in public always... these days, right? Like. Just, people will know I'm a Spurs <laughs> no, fan. It's, say, just, Scotty, it's like, risky. I always say my favorite time as a Spurs fan is that two weeks between the Champions League semifinal and Champions League final. We were fucking bulletproof in those moments yeah. as Spurs fans. You know and, what, and, though? And, and that's one much... of those things. No, all I was going to say is it's one of those things where um, I think that's what we long for more than the trophy itself is that feeling of togetherness that we had as a fan base going into that final. Yes, and up to that final, I can't tell you how many conversations I had probably with you on a podcast about how win or lose, this has just been an amazing ride, you know? And that's, I don't care, laugh at me, other fans, trophies, blah, blah, blah. Like We knew very well that we might get smoked by Liverpool on that day, but we were so happy. to. It wasn't that we were happy to be there. Of course we were. Right. But I'm not saying that, like, I was resting my hat on the fact that we got there. I wanted to win it. Right. But like that feeling was enough in itself. Right. Um, and, and there and, was some and belief there, now. wasn't there yeah. at that time? You know, I think everything y'all just said is totally fair. hundred percent. It's it's not just the uncertainty with what's going on in the background at the club, you know, with like the finance and everything. I I think it's just the performances on the pitch are not living up to what we expect uh, from the team. And, you know, this is a great way to segue into the game against Brighton because this was a huge, you know, as they call it, six pointer that could have really transformed, I think, the mood of the fan base around the team right now, if it had been a more confident and consistent performance throughout the game. But I mean, I'll I'll hand it over to y'all and ask: Do we feel like we got a little lucky with this result? Because um, I know I, I had a little bit of an element of that. Uh, I'll go out to you first, Shubon. Oh God, I have never. I'm trying to see. I don't. I can't think of the only time. You know, there's, there's echoes of this 
match against Brighton when we played uh, Potty Southampton. Um, I think it must have been, what, nearly seven, nine years ago now when Southampton literally played us off the park, but somehow we managed to edge the game by about one goal, a single goal or something. We, I think we won in the last minute or something. And even but the football was absolutely turgid. And this is, again, yes, we won the game, but the football was so turgid. And you just, it's, it's kind of like hoping to, it's like we haven't got a plan apart from give the ball to Kane and Sonny and hope they'll crap a miracle. And I don't know, which sounds really harsh and unfair because I want, I'd like to think that there's more to it than Stellini and Conte did beforehand and Mason doing. But it just feels like that's the hope. Give the ball to one of those front three and they're going to crap a miracle. And the other four, I, I don't know what they're doing because it just seems so disjointed. Yeah, well, I think that's a good place to talk about Sun's goal. You know, this was his 100th Premier League goal, and I feel like it was very typical son. You know, he he manages to get into some space outside the box and just unleashes an absolute worldie of a shot. Um, and I was laughing because upon listening or watching the game again this morning, um, I noticed that one of the commentators, I think it was Efen Okoku, said the son would have been happy with just a scruffy tap in. But I disagree. I don't think that's <laughs> that's not the sun type of goal that we usually see. So I felt like this was a really actually good way for him to mark that occasion of his 100th goal because it was such a, a classic sun goal. You agree, Todd? Yeah, it, could, it couldn't have been better. It was the quintessential sun goal. The only thing that would have made it better is if he had done it with his left foot because um, he's just that damn spicy. Uh, it, it, I don't know what else you say about this. It, obviously, he wouldn't have been nearly as happy with the tap-in. Also, when was the last time Sun scored a tap-in? I'd love to hear about that. Um, it, you know, our, our offense is a tough situation right now. We've been talking about it all year long, and we've been crying out for an offensive uh, attacking midfielder for, oh, I don't know, since Christian Eriksen left. Um so we're doing a variety of different things differently, but essentially the same thing and expecting different results. So um, some might call that insane. I I'm just saying we are where we are. But bringing it back to Sun, uh, you know, clearly the greatest Asian player to ever play Premier League football, 100 goals, 50 assists, golden boot, all the things. Um, but one of the one of the greatest Spurs players to ever put on the lily white and, and it's a pleasure to watch it happen i'm 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 proud that sonny's on our team because not only does he do it in an amazing fashion like just highlight reel after highlight reel goals he's one of the coolest people around so and the yeah, burberry gonna, line is sick no you're gonna look back on sun sun one day or history will right we're all spurs fans 30 years from now and we're talking about sun and, and we'll really realize that he unfortunately for him played alongside probably the greatest ever player to play for Tottenham Hotspur. Right. And so you're very much just in Kane's shadow at all times. And there's really nothing you can do about that, but son would also be the first person to gladly be in Kane's shadow. Right. They're so close and obviously have a special bond. So Sonny's a great dude and very, very happy for him getting his hundredth goal. And, you know, I, I, I think Sonny, Sonny's been the piece that we've really been missing. And I don't mean to put like this season on Sun. This season is not on Sun. It's on a lot of things, right? But 
Um, if we can get him firing for these last six, seven, eight games, got a hell of a lot of a jeez. Uh, about to just make a mockery of the English language, but we have a way better chance of getting top four uh, with, with Sonny firing, right? So it's exciting for him to hit that hundredth goal in the fashion that he did. It will, it will only boost his confidence. You know, to F and Akoku's point, when you're in a goal drought, a tap in is really all you need to find to find your confidence again sometimes, right? And Sonny will have found his confidence tenfold through that world class uh, finish. And we also have to shout out Todd's favorite Viking for demanding that Sonny shoot that ball as, as we're finding out after the match, right? When, when Sonny wasn't necessarily looking to shoot and he trusted his buddy Pierre Emil Hoybier who made sure that, that he did get that ball off. So shout to shout to Hoybier for you know, I, I joke, but it's it's a real thing. Shout out to Hoybier for, for, for communicating on the field. It's something that players can always do a better job of and trusting trusting Sonny who frankly isn't in the form to score that goal, right? But but knowing that his 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 boy Sonny is perfectly capable of hitting it and might as well. So it's a cool story, obviously, after the fact. But um, you know, shout out to Pierre there. I'm never gonna stop giving Pierre praise. But I also want to point out the fact that I don't think that it can be overstated that that was Sun cutting into space from the left wing instead of clogging space in the same space that Perisic has been trying to take up this entire season. So as long as whoever's calling the shots on the touchline continues to have him go inside right there, those opportunities are going to continue to present themselves. Definitely agreed. And I think that's a good point too from Scott about you know, the team still communicating and being behind each other. You could see it in the way they celebrated Sun's goal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I think, a little bit rankled by Conte's comments about the players being selfish. And it just doesn't bear up to scrutiny, <laughs> you know, when we, we see how they actually interact with each other on the pitch and support each other. But anyway, I feel like getting that goal so early in the 10th minute was a big relief. And then we got even more relief not long after when Matoma from Brighton had a goal disallowed for a handball. Did y'all think that that was a fair call? Shubon, you first. Um, I kind of, it's, it's a weird one. I've seen them given and I've seen them kind of guess. Obviously, I remember that, does anyone remember that Lucas handball or something by accident? Sheffield United, and he tripped over himself. Or something. Oh, you, you mean the one Somehow. where he fell over against Sheffield United? Fuck my life, yes, yes. And I don't, I mean, I remember like I said it's a weird one because obviously we'll come into it a bit later, but you know, sometimes these decisions go against you. I mean, I remember like famously the Danny Rose handball against Man City in the Champions League was given as a penalty, and Hugo luckily saved it. And obviously, similar kind of handball. In the Champions League final, obviously went against us, but um, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird one. I mean, I don't. I mean, like I said, I've met a few Brighton fans, and because I've been down to the South Coast, quite, the South Downs, quite a few times, and they're pretty chilled. I mean, they're look. These guys are just so happy to even be in the Premier League because they're lucky to even have a club. For those of you who don't know, Brighton's had some, Brighton's had some really dodgy. So it's Brighton Hove, by the way. It's not just Brighton FC. Brighton Hove are two different cities. They come together to form one club, Albion which is the old name for England. But Brighton and Hove, Albion, there when they were at the race course ground, and they went through so much crap, and they really struggled to get to where they are now. And so they are delighted to be in the Premier League and to be doing so well. And I don't, like I said, they, honestly, they felt a bit confident. And I said, I don't know, it's a weird one, because 
you don't that they are going to start there because there's a lot of complaints about like I think Lewis Dunk was complaining and I think Efenokoki was complaining on the feed apparently the one I didn't listen to the illegal illegally about like you know Brighton having a lot of decisions going against them but that's just football though I mean I don't look I people say oh VAR 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 is designed to reduce errors it didn't ever say by the way with VAR we will not have any mistakes we won't have we'll have zero mistakes. And unfortunately, for, fortunately for us, you know, they, they did, there were mistakes, but they went in our favor. But sometimes, you know, there are mistakes that happen. I mean, I remember, I, you guys weren't watching it, but I remember the, the Mendes goal and the nanny handball and all kinds of crap. Every single club has a sense of victimhood of things that didn't go against them or whatever. So the I'm, very, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, I mean, the Vertonghen, think- oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah, Stellini after the game, I think, kind of alluded to that, you know, kind of sense that some calls will go against you, some won't. Um, And he made a point to say we didn't complain too much about, you know, the numerous VAR calls that have gone against us this season. Um, But luckily, this one did go in our favor. And from my perspective, I I thought it was a fair call because it did feel like Matoma was – using his arm to bring the ball down to control it so he could get his shot off. So I had no problem with that one. Yeah. Kaz, I think that's only because, yeah, I think that's only because he was using his arm to um, control the ball and to set up his shot. So I think by definition, that's a fucking handball. We keep it moving. Right. I I don't know why there's all this uproar right here. I think realistically there could be some uproar, about the lack of a VAR call uh, with Hoybier clipping somebody in the box. But also, you could say that that's a good no call because it was a little divey. So VAR, the ebbs and flows, we certainly eat and humble VAR pie on numerous occasions. Um, just uh, not, you know, take too much effort and think back to the fucking Southampton match and that phantom God blessed VAR from that one clown knows that I don't even want to talk about. They put us in the right now. Uh, ebbs and flows, swings and roundabouts. We keep it moving. Yep. Well, the next goal that Brighton scored did count and was not one that we could have chalked off via VAR. Uh, Lewis Dunk scored in the 34th minute with a header from a corner. So once again, you know, bad set piece defense. Scott, what were your thoughts on this goal concession? Oh, just total classic Spurs. Um, I want, I don't want to say completely unmarked, but basically completely unmarked. Um, and it, it honestly, my immediate, uh, my immediate emotion that followed that goal was like, oh, we're definitely losing this. Here we go. This is where it all starts. And we did it, right? But, uh, but yeah, it was not. Not a not a good goal to concede. Um, it really just speaks to the compounding issues we have at the back of the field this season. So, and that was going to be my next question. Uh, we we go into halftime tied at one one. Todd, did you feel confident that we could go on to win this, or were you also feeling pessimistic that it was not going to go Spurs' way? Yeah, no, this was not one one at the break, and the way that we conceded that goal at the time that we conceded it, and how fucking shaky Hugo looked on numerous occasions in that first half. Yeah, not not great, not great, Bob, not great. Um, so, but I felt uh, confident in our ability to change pace, 
which I thought that we did a really good job of at the beginning of the second half. We came out and wanted it more early, at least I thought. Yeah, there there was a big chance um, not too long after halftime. I think it was Perisic uh, shot just wide. So it did feel like we were, you know, back in the game at that point. We could have easily, that momentum could have just ground to a halt because Danny Welbeck scored a goal. But it also ended up being disallowed for handball because it had deflected off of McAllister, off of his hand. Uh, so again, a, a goal disallowing that Brighton could not really complain about. Um, but I think one of the more interesting moments in the second half was the sort of touchline fracas that I, you know, I've, I've watched this game twice now. The first time admittedly was in a car in the passenger seat on the way up to Austin. So wasn't paying the closest attention, but watching it again this morning, I still don't entirely understand what brought about that disagreement. Do y'all have any info on that? Look, when you're Italian, you just get pissed about little things and then it just becomes a bigger <laughs> thing and a bigger thing. And I'm sure Desarbi heard that Stellini had said something about his pasta sauce preference and Desarbi didn't agree and it just got out of hand. So who knows? But all jokes aside, it sounds like it was pretty petty, um, uh, which which leads to, to leave me, me bantering my own heritage, right? But, but it sounds like it was pretty petty. But the interesting awesome. thing is that Stellini actually was kind of standing off and really did not get yeah. involved, but yeah. he <laughs> still ended up getting sent off along with Brighton's St- boss because they were quote unquote, I think it was Stelini- not able to control their, their technical box, AKA their staff. Yeah. Stellini and I have no idea what you're talking about, Kaz. I'm not touchline. For, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, what's his name on the other side of the pitch was pretty heated about something, but I don't know. That was his people talking about this, that, and the other thing. I, I honestly, I expect the club to, uh, I expect the club to appeal this because Stellini literally looked at the referee and was like, what the fuck are you talking about right now? Like, that's the laziest red card I've ever seen in my life. Anyway. Yeah. It was almost comical Stellini's expression as he was shown the red card, kind of like who me? What? Um, but the controversies just kept rolling in this game. Pierre Emil Hoybier got away. I think we can say fairly um, with the penalty on Matoma in the 71st minute could have completely changed the course of the game if they had been awarded that penalty. Um, so, I mean, Shuban, did you feel like that was a penalty and should have been checked by VAR? Oh. Cause the commentator oh, yeah. certainly did. <laughs> I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was one of those weird, like it was a coming together. And I definitely thought it wasn't like, I know this sounds really bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a malicious, like Joey Barton style tackle or something like that. But it was definitely, a, it was better. It was definitely mistimed. And for me, I just thought that was such a stone cold pen. But the fact that what I couldn't understand is it was right in front of the referee. So the referee saw it and said nothing. Now, what I don't understand why VAR didn't say Actually, you might want to have another look at this. And now, like, literally, and then less than 24 hours later, they said, by the way, we made a mistake. They didn't let it sit till Monday or till Tuesday. And now there's, like, people saying, oh, we should replay the game or something. And I'm like, are you kidding? And I'm just thinking, honestly, I think Brian are turning into a bit Liverpool now. Seriously. He's like, oh, it's conspiracy. It's against us and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. It just, look, 
I, I've said it before. VAR is then to reduce errors. It is not foolproof. I don't know if your NFL VAR is without error. I'm. I don't know. And this is. It's I, far I'm better than know. this shit. But here's the thing, though. If they do make a mistake in your um, NFL, like the referees made, that they whether they don't spot something, blah blah blah. Do they at least do they then apologize saying, "Oh, by the way, sorry, we missed an error." Blah blah blah. We're very sorry. Do they do that or? Yeah, like they do, and like the NFL PA will come or the uh, the NFL officiating uh, like overseers will come out and say, "Like this was missed. This referee or this linesman or whatever has been you know unassigned from this whatever week that or the other thing." Like there's far more accountability. In, in uh, uh, what well, I would say is officiating in, in other places than the Premier League. We'll say it that way. Yeah, and Andrew's talked about this before on this show, but you know, in the NFL, there's there's one single single decision making room, honestly, for the entire league, right? That that has final say. Where in the Premier League, the person on the field who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about half the time because they don't see it from a bird's eye view until after the fact, right? have the final say and that's just it's just the inconsistent approach i think i had seen something on twitter that really summed it up perfectly and maybe one of y'all that retweeted it or something right but this person had said you know if 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 every team in the premier league which every team in the premier league does at some point think there's some var conspiracy against them it's probably just mismanagement of the tool rather than a you know a conspiracy that that every club (laughs) thinks they have against them right so um it just until they get it cleaned up, it's just going to continue to be something that we can't even explain or or really dissect and digest um, with any sense because you really can't formulate sense out of the, the way that the decisions are made half of the time. So it's a total toss up. It's honestly not out, of, and, and I really mean this. I do not say this in jest at all. It's totally viable to think that that governing body said, "Ooh, some calls against Spurs have been really bad. Let's let's get a couple back in their favor, right? And we can apologize after the fact to get this to get some of this nonsense dropped. You know, I'm not saying that happened, but I'm also not putting it past that governing body over there to do something like that. Um, we all know it, corruption is just seeping through every every you know ounce of European football. So, well, and I think it's a good shout to point out that it's sometimes unclear who the final decision is coming down to because if we even look back at the first Brighton goal that was disallowed, the Matoma handball, they actually did not have, uh, I think it was Stuart Atwell was refereeing our game. He didn't go look at the monitor as I've always been under the impression, you know, that they, the on-field ref had the final call, but he just received the information through his headset and then said, okay, the goals didn't count. So it's, you know, it's not good that we don't always know who to hold accountable, who's responsible, leads to a lot of confusion. And of course leads to, I think pretty much every fan base having fair reason to complain at at some point or other this season about Mm -hmm. how VAR has been used. But as, as it happened in this case, the match stayed at one, one, and we went on to win thanks to a Harry Kane goal in the 79th minute. Um, We had a great, nutmeg pass from Sonny to uh, PEH who then cut it back to Kane who was arriving in the box and his shot deflected slightly off of Veltman which I think is what threw the Brighton keeper off but you know a goal is a goal we'll take it and we ended up winning two to one so any thoughts on that Kane goal 
first off, if I went back and looked at that goal about six or seven times, Kaz, and like that, that, that ball is absolutely going in the net, Veltman or not, just no. Um, second thing, the sunny, cheeky nutmeg on the right as well. Like, I don't even know why rotationally he was there in the way that he was, but it was fantastic. And the fact that the fact that Kane was arriving at the time that he was, and if you watch PEH's head, is that he doesn't move his head at all. He just cuts the ball to the top of the D, and there's Kane. Incredible stuff. I jumped up and down. It was fantastic. Do you know what? We've seen um, PH do this kind of play for Denmark, and we keep complaining, like, why can't he do this for us? Now, I know international football is a lot slower than everything else, but he's he's a really good footballer. I know he's a Viking and he can do all that kind of stuff, but he's a really good footballer. And I just don't get, like I said, I think Todd said this earlier, you've got players who are indecisive. They're not expressing themselves. For whatever reason, they're not. But honestly, I'm hoping that this will give him the confidence to be more expressive. You know, because... I said, one of the things I wanted to talk about is that I think Dan Juma had a big, had a, well, not a big part, but did play a part in actually that, that did the second goal. And, and the fact that they chose him over Richardson, I know Richardson may be more injured or whatever, but, and I'm not saying I'm happy that Lucas got sent off the game before, but I'm very, very glad that now that he's not, he's not an option and Dan Juma will get given minutes and he can just show, look, this is what I can do. It's only like, say, 15 minutes. It's not a huge amount of time. But, you know, Kuliszewski, he was trying it. Things weren't working out. And I'm glad that we said, you know what, let's just try something else. Let's try Dan Juma. And he actually did something. It wasn't a huge amount of stuff because only about 15, 15, 20 minutes, but still better than nothing. And I think that's, that's what we would like to see more from Stellini in these last few games is just a, a willingness to try something new when the status quo isn't working. Um, but just to go back to Pierre real quick, you know, we were talking pre-recording about his attacking abilities not always um, being prioritized in the way that he's employed tactically. So, Scott, do you feel like not just with Hoybier, but with quite a few players in the squad that were not getting the best out of their specific skill sets and the having this like rigid system and sticking to it has kind of, you know, not allowed us to see the best of them at times. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you can find a way to get Hoybier in a three, he he will be extremely effective. I think he his engine and his metronome are are those two key factors. You know, if you, I'm not going to say that he is, you know, comparable to to a to a guy like Luka Modric because he's certainly never as talented. But he plays a very similar role, and if you can get him in a three, I think he's very effective. Now, do I think you change the entire tactical approach for one person? Never. Absolutely not, right? But if you can find a way to get him in the three, he's much more effective. Um, so I think to, to your question, I do not think that we use him as effectively as we could. Now, part of that probably is because we have to use him in the way that we're using him right now if we want to play the way we're trying to play, right? Um, we don't really have anyone else, but there is no argument in my opinion that he gets stretched out at the back and he is very good going forward. Um, 
So if we can find a way to utilize that, we'll be, we'll be much better for it. He is he is a, a heck of a footballer, but for me, like I said, it's that engine and that metronome that that he offers, and finding ways to get players around him who, um, you know, can can afford him the space to 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 run and run and run. Right? We've talked about it before. Skip will do that sometimes, but um, I also don't think we can put it all on Skip. You know, case in point, the Michael Keane goal against Everton. Skip is in perfect position, right? PEH is not right so and I'm not trying to pick on PEH but just to my point right we need to find ways to get guys around him who will protect him in a way that allows him to, to run and run and run just to say that um, I, I, I know we don't do a loan watch or anything but one of the players that does work well on a three actually had apparently a man of the match performance for Villarreal away at Real Madrid's Bernabeu mm-hmm. and it's just like it just oh my it's insanity that we had a player that can do that can do this kind of stuff. Obviously, not in England, and yet he's a player that if we were if he wasn't our player, you'd be looking at him thinking, "Oh my god, this guy could do a job for us." And yet, well, he has been like, well, first of all, he's always been injured when he when he's, when he's at Spurs, and when he's um, but for some reason he can't do his job over here for whatever reason. But when you look at him, you think this guy can really play. And I don't know whether it's something about, like I said, I don't know what's going to happen next season, but. And as I said, I, I, I saw bits of the on on the Liga TV. And I thought, bloody hell! And then I realised who it was, and I was like, he's never done that for us. I can't remember him doing that for us. And um, so I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. But I definitely think in a three, I think someone like um, like I think someone like say Rodrigo Bentancur, if he can't assume he can come back and play anywhere near like he did pre-injury, and Hoybier, you know. If you have someone like Skip or Basuma, like like anchor in their midfield or Saar, that would really liberate them because these guys, yep. they I think football has changed. And I was saying to a friend of mine today is that I really miss the number tens that we used to have. Like the, as I think Scott can pronounce it, the Chicaristas, you know, like the classic number tens. But football's changed now. You can't have that. But what you do have is midfielders who can play a bit, can put those play those ball through through the lines. And I really think they'll be more willing to do that. Especially like Benson Core and Hoybier, if they know that, do you know, if, if, if the pass gets inserted or cancelled out, there's a player behind them that can back them up. 100%. I think honestly, we we very well could see a midfield where Basuma is protecting, protecting those two. I think, you know, depending on who, who comes in. But we've, it's an inter- interesting, interesting, uh, you know, side note, we've got a very attractive midfield for any manager that that's looking at coming into this club, right? There's a lot of flexibility. We could say that we need more in attack, right? But if you play a three effectively, you don't necessarily need a cam by any means. So um, there's, there's a lot that this midfield can do when you look at Popsar, who, by the way, just, just bought him on in my football manager save. He becomes world-class in football manager. We all absolutely know what that means. Um, The guy's got a future. So, Popsar, Skip, Basuma, Hoybier, Benteker, very, very talented midfielder right there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But if we to, to bring it all back, if if what happens is PH becomes able to express himself a little bit more through whatever we do, we'll be better for it. So Yeah, I think the key there also with those midfield pieces is once everyone gets healthy, because undeniably we've struggled with injuries this season not just in the midfield, but also, you know, with Richarlison not being an option, although he was on the bench for this match. Um, so kind of c- 
constraining the manager's options, but I think we should transition into talking about the next match pretty soon. But first, I want to look at the big picture after this result against Brighton. Todd, are you feeling more confident about our top four chances now, or has it really not changed anything for you? Well, I mean, it did. It- changes a lot you know it was a legitimate six-point match given the way that the table is shaking out at this point in time but you can always look at look at things in threes and so going forward past Bournemouth we've got you know Newcastle away right and uh and then we have Man United uh so that's essentially after these three matches um you know we'll pretty much know where our Champions League future does or does not lie next year um, I think it's pretty safe to say. So am I more confident? Shit, yes. I'm more confident than I was if we had lost this match, despite the fact that we won it ugly. Um, but, again, I think that it's going to be uh, going to be a nice tune-up against Bournemouth. I hope that we sit Cootie Romero, just saying. Uh, and uh, then I'm really excited to see exactly how we shape up against Newcastle and, uh, and Man United at the business end of the season, as Shuban called it. So for the listeners, the reason Todd wants Romero sat for the next match is because he is one yellow card away from a suspension. So Before Todd gets roasted on Twitter. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll save him from that. Uh, but Shuvan, you were the one that pointed that out to us about Romero. So would you make that that call? Would you bring in, say, Davinson Sanchez for Romero in the Good next job. match? Or Jaffa Tangango or something. Do you or know what? I said, I, said, yeah. I, said, I said to Todd, do you know what? Romero's is going to kind of play that. You'll sit him out for the Bournemouth game. And do you know what? He'll either end up being injured or getting sent off um, against Newcastle. And then end up missing games anyway as a result. He's just, he's alive. I mean, I don't, there was this really funny moment. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he did this absolute tackle on McAllister, who's his international teammate. And he was, I was trying not to smoke it. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't know what it is. It's like, if, essentially, if you're not playing on, I don't know, he gets this kind of weird. I don't know if you, it's like, an, I remember someone introduced me to like ice hockey and I think there were these four, two former teammates and they reckon, they, they were fighting each other. They started throwing punches. Then they recognized each other and they started fighting even harder once they recognized each other. And it was kind of like, it was like, oh, you're not playing for my team now. Oh, I get to put one on you now because I can't for like any other time of the year or something. I don't know. I mean, um, to be fair to Romero, he he was he 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 was good. He didn't give an he didn't it wasn't any nonsense. But honestly, can I trust him not to get into do something stupid? I don't know. I mean, there's that who's, who's that player for Newcastle? Uh, the Brazilian lad. Um, I forget his name. The oh, uh, not Joel, not Joel Linton, but there's an there's a Brazilian. There's a couple of Brazilian lads. Bruno Gimarish. Bruno Gimarish, and I think, yeah, or another South American lad. I just can imagine that Romero will get into something with one of them. He will do something stupid and get into a fight, especially with like the Brazilian, or I think, I don't know what Joe Linton's, or not Joe Linton, um, oh, the guy, he scored against us. Uh, it wasn't Joe, maybe Joe Linton, but he scored against us. It was a, so I think South American player or something, but played for DC United or something for Newcastle, for, for, before he went to Newcastle. But, uh, Miguel Amaran. Yeah. Almiron, yeah, Almiron. I think player. he's from South. I don't know where he's from, South America, but there, there, there will be some sign of South American beef that comes up. So for me personally, I don't know. Maybe you drop him. I don't know. And then I don't know. What's it? Uh, and against against like 
I don't know, I don't know but I think Man United got a few Brazilians as well. So I just can't trust his temperament. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I do. The I, do problem get with Romero, I mean, he's there's never going to be a game where he pulls back much, right? It's going to just be what it is. The problem is, is that, and I don't disagree with dropping him and not. I don't know. There's a lot, to, a lot, a lot to be discussed there. And again, as I'll always say, I'm glad it's not my decision. But we don't. We're in trouble if Romero doesn't play. Period. Right. So, um, I, and and I'm kind of com- I'm I'm kind of coming full circle. Or sorry, 180 is a better euphemism there on Romero. You know, I was irritated by his temperament at times and blah blah blah. But he also. I, to go back to the goal, the Kane goal yesterday, Romero makes that goal. I mean, it's an absolute world-class step. Gets the ball to Sonny quickly. Sonny, you know, four th- world-class things happen for that goal to go in without question. Seriously, four things. But Romero's step was just oh, absolutely brilliant. And, he, and that goal doesn't happen if Romero's not pushed forward like he always is, which irritates me at times. So, I don't know. He's He's polarizing to me from a tactical perspective. If I was the manager, he would give me headaches. But man, my love grows for him every single time I watch him play for Spurs as well. I say, we had the same call in, in literally not, not too far from us, like these lo- loads of lavender fields and lavender is very calming or something. So I don't know if you just spray a bunch of lavender in his face or something or you, know, you spray a cat or something like he's about to get into fight. No, spray, spray, quickly someone spray him or something so he doesn't get into a fight or something. Just something to avoid him getting into because it's just kind of like because like it reminds me of Cantona. Cantona would get into some pointless mm-hmm. like uh, but back in the day, um, was it there was a player called Neil Ruddock, and he was playing for Tottenham, and he did this thing where he basically Cantona always put his collars up, so Cantona Ruddock would go down and literally keep putting them down just to piss him off, and there'd be like a running battle <laughs> between them two. But here's the thing: it's just Romero. There was a bit where I think I think when Romero first met Richarlison, and they end up shaking hands, and they both walk away, and Romero looks really sheepish, as if like it's kind of he's like he, there's this real, but he's like obviously he, he's a grown man and everything, but there's a real like kind of like you know like when you're playing football and there's this guy who's sweet as sweetheart or something, but that doesn't stop you, that doesn't stop him kicking you right up the field or something, right under the air when he's tackling you. There's something about Romero he does that he just can't it help himself and i think if he can i don't want him to lose his aggression but if he could just channel it a bit better and i, I the best i can scramble it's like it's like it's like um i've got sergio ramos sergio ramos he's a bit more dickish or anything and he'll probably put one on you just to really hurt you i don't think romero's like that he just can't help himself so i'm just i'm honestly i mean he didn't get i don't think he got booked for this game i don't i don't think he did but I'm hoping, I mean, I guess against um, Bournemouth, I mean, I'm sorry, but if we can't trust Sanchez or Tanganga against Bournemouth, then what the hell do we, why Why are they even in this, even, even at the club? Oh, we sorry. can't trust them against Bournemouth, uh, just for, <laughs> for the record. So. <laughs> well, I love that this is the point we're at where we're suggesting aromatherapy to solve our problems. But, I, you know, it's, it's a tricky one because ideally you would like for Spurs to be able to take care of a team like Bournemouth handily, but you know, we saw from our last fixture with them that it's, it's not that simple sometimes. And, but at the same time, this Newcastle game is so crucial because it's the one chance we have to get points on them and also weaken their position. So it's going to be a tough one, um, but we will be back to talk about it. And 
Thank you guys for joining me to discuss this Brighton match. You can find Scott at DSM Spurs. You can find Todd at TC underscore Kasho. You can find Shuvon at The Real Shuvon. And I am at CG Stefko. Uh, you can also hit up the pod at Tottenham Depot. You know, feel free to send us in any questions you've got as we head into this very crucial last stretch of the season. Uh, but until then, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>